stories are what we hang our hats on. You know, when we get to the coffee shop after the ride, we're all telling stories to each other of, you know, how we got dropped on the big climb or whatever. But we are, as a species, storytellers. From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I am your host, Trevor. And this is Sheldon. And on this episode, we go deep and talk with cycling media and journalism vets Mike Cushenberry and Patrick Brady of the Cycling Independent. But before we get into that, Trevor, how's your week been in the Midpack? You're not in the mid-pack anymore. <laughs> you can no longer wear your hoodie. <laughs> I was more mid-pack this week than I, than I have been in the past, but uh, I, I, I do want to talk about Heart Hills. It's, it's been on my heart and my mind <laughs> since it... Uh, since two days ago. Since it basically wrecked me. Um, <laughs> we can get into Heart Hills. Um, Sheldon, I, should we just jump right into that? I think we should just get right into it. Okay, I've been I've been trying to think since the race. I've been trying to decide how to to talk about the event and my experience. So I uh, went into this race. I've never done Heart Hills. Have you yep. done Heart Hills? Nope, I, I have not done Heart Hills. And um, I, I've wanted to, and it's it's been on my uh, on my list for a while, and. And I, I signed up for it maybe just a couple weeks ago. It's kind of a last minute thing. Mm-hmm. And and on paper, Sheldon, the, it did not have me worried. 50 miles? 50 miles, 55 miles. How many um, feet of climbing? It's like a little over 3,000. So, okay. I mean, it's it, it lives up to its heart hills, you know. The, yeah. Um, I think my, uh, I haven't done it in the past, and my hesitation this year was just because it's it's a, it's like two hours away from yeah, it's a little bit where we are in East Lansing. So. Um, but anyways, I decided, you know what, I'll, I'll, uh, I, I honestly, I just wanted to, to ride another long route in the Michigan gravel race series. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure, and, and, and it was an excuse to do another, another event I've never done. Um, so, but yeah, on paper, I thought, you know, I've done a couple, couple races, couple hard efforts. The 50 miles didn't, didn't worry me at all. And you may... You could say that I went into it, I, I wouldn't say cocky. Oh, I'm going to use cocky. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe relaxed. <laughs> I was relaxed. And um, and that was maybe my uh, my first mistake. The The night before... You made the mistake of going out with me. <laughs> yes, that's, that's what I was going to get at. The oh, night- don't blame this all on Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> the night before, we... Uh, had a few beers and I, you know, I I may have had one too many. <laughs> you were doing a good job of staggering I, the Lacroix with uh, with a beer. Yeah, I was trying to do a one and one for one kind of kind of deal, but uh, I think I had I may have had one too many. But uh, do you remember when we were talking about Heart Hills and you said something to me that night? I asked about your tires. 
you asked about my tires, and I said, why? And you said, because it's sandy as hell up there. <laughs> and I, and I, uh, I said, really? You, you, yeah, you had like this, like, eh, well, you know, because how many miles, or you've been running those tires, they came on your new Revolt. Yeah, I probably have. That's a good question. How many? How many but, miles? But you I wrote have? them down in Florida, where where you hit some sand, didn't you? I did. Yeah. How were they down in uh, in the sand down it south? It was um, wet sand. Okay. And so it was a totally different. It wasn't great, but it was definitely wet sand. And I have been experiencing on some of the loose stuff lately. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of uneasiness. I, I haven't been super secure with it. So I actually did. Uh, order and received brand new tires, uh, some Maxxis Ramblers, which have a little bit more bite to them. Yep. And I had been debating whether or not to do the whole, like, uh, just the whole uh, switch out mm-hmm. for, um, it wasn't necessarily just for Heart Hills. It was just, just for You just want for, more grip. So, so the wheels that, or the tires that you currently have on, very smooth. They're like slicks. Yeah, they're, they're basically file tread slicks. Yeah, uh, Maxis Velocita or Velocita. I don't know yeah, how they... There's not much meat to them. There's nothing. I mean, it's... And they're and, what, 40s? They're 40s. Okay. They're great tires. I, I like them, but um, but yeah, they, they don't have any bite. So I, so I did buy new tires, but I, I convinced myself... I talked myself out of switching it because I was more concerned about botching up the tubeless setup and and just it not taking well or like just so i just didn't want to change anything for race day at this point i wasn't even thinking about sand you mentioned sand and i thought huh (laughs) well we'll see (laughs) the next day race day i'm driving up there and i'm thinking more about the sand a little bit Mm -hmm. and i thought you know maybe it would have been good if i did a little bit of research (laughs) What, did, t- what tire pressure were you running? I did uh, 30-ish, 35, okay. probably more than I needed to. But so, but you know, I, then I started to think about heart and where it is, and I know where it is, and I know that area is sandy as hell. And then like these sand dune, like trucks with sand dune buggies on them. Keep, <laughs> with the paddle tires yes, on. <laughs> they, like I keep passing, the, you know, and I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? <laughs> I get there and... Uh, I run into Alex Tennelshoff, who had a hell of a race. He he uh, soloed for first, but he uh, he asked me, "Have you have you ever done this course before?" And I said, "No." And uh, he said, "Oh, you're in for a treat." <laughs> I said, "Why?" And he goes, "Look at my tires. I would never ride something this beefy." <laughs> <laughs> so he so was running some knobby. He was super knobby. They they almost look like cyclocross tires. But uh, I, I don't know how, how thick they were. But yeah, he said, uh, super sandy. And at this point, I'm like, I am so screwed. <laughs> and, and then I run into Joe Cantwell, and he put on like 2.0 mountain bike tires. I actually just saw him. He came in to spin the other day. Oh, no way. Yeah. So I'm kind of like at, at the the the, uh, the starting line thinking, what what did I do? Like, this is... Anyways, I You're just, just, just picturing yourself just floundering in the sand. And that is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, don't be I, fooled. Don't be fooled. He says floundered in the sand, but what was your overall place in? 10th place. 10th place. Not I, too shabby. I think I could have done 
I could have done better. And mm-hmm. I I don't necessarily think it was all the tire's fault. I'm not going to. I. It probably was a combination of too many beers, not enough tire, <laughs> <laughs> too much sand. But um, and also, to be honest, that type of course, a little technical, um, it's not my strong suit. Uh, and, and it showed that there was a couple, couple places and a couple times that, uh, I got passed by a couple people at the end and, Mm -hmm. and they were definitely more comfortable in the, uh, the technical terrain and, um, and yeah, so that it definitely wasn't my type of course. Although I will say the course was awesome. It was such a cool, yes, it was definitely Sandy, it was super sandy, <laughs> but a, a lot of two track, a lot of seasonal road. It was, a, I thought it was a great course. So Saturday, this was Saturday. Saturday, yeah. I had to work, but uh, I was walking in work, just a nice gentle breeze. <laughs> <laughs> it was this, it was the windiest. It had to be like gust of like 40 miles no, an hour. No, it was 40 miles yeah. an hour. Yeah. It, so we're... <laughs> There were there were points where I thought I was crashing because the wind gusts would just a lot of a lot of crosswinds would come and and almost like get like swipe your bike out from underneath you. But then there would just be because of the sand, it was like a dust bowl situation, <laughs> and you're just you can't see anything. It's just like, <laughs> geez, oh Pete. All in all, yeah, it 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 was tough. It it was probably. For sure this season, but it was one of the hardest 50-ish mile rides that I have done, um, or races, and it, I hurt, man. It was rough. And uh, on top of that, I had a, I had a, lim- uh, um, a time limit that I had to get back because I had to work in the afternoon. Did you, well, we, we kind of talked about this the night before. Yeah. Did you actually make it back to work on so- time? <laughs> And again, maybe this was like part of the cocky or, you know, relaxed, but I thought, you know, I'm going to stick with a bunch of people. We're going to average like 22 miles an hour. I average, I didn't even average 18 miles an hour, <laughs> but I thought for sure I'll have time to, to get back and, and work in the afternoon. And I, it was like mile 40 and I'm looking down and yeah, my, it says like averaging 17.8 and I still have to go 15 miles and I'm slogging through the sand and I'm like this I don't think I'm going to get back. <laughs> I did. I just made it, but <laughs> did you go to work and in, in, no, I, in I showered. Kit? I almost had to call Rachel and say bring the clothes to work and I was going to take a well, I can't. No, I was gonna, do, do the old uh like like just washing the sink or something. Oh, uh, I was thinking like baby wipes. Well, I, was gonna I, say, I actually keep baby wipes in my car just for that. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> actually, they've come in handy in other ways. <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. You never know. You got to take them on your rides, your long rides. Some baby wipes or toilet paper, at least. <laughs> I didn't have that issue, but I, I just felt like I had every other issue. But um, it was it was a it was good, and I I felt like it was a tough race and. Everyone had a had a tough race. Mm-hmm. People were crashing all over the place. It was hard, man. What was the uh, what was the field like? How, how how many people? So, I don't. That's a good question. I don't know how many. Like, did they do a mass start? They did a mass start. Okay. There's probably over a hundred. I think that's a pretty good showing for right now. And um, yeah, there's some strong guys up there at the front. 
Um, but I'm pretty sure that like that front pack got pretty decimated towards the end. It looked like a couple couple dudes stayed together. It looked pretty strung out. Like yeah. you could see a little bit in the finishing times. It looked like there's a little bit of a you know couple second gap between everybody. Yeah. But yeah, a day of fighting sand, fighting wind, and it was it was fun. One more thing I want to say about it though is uh, I get back, and my plan was before I drive home, I was probably gonna swing through like McDonald's and eat like really crappy food, but yeah. just something like immediately. And, uh, and I, I had no time. I couldn't even do that. I did not have enough time to even go through a drive through and I'm looking around just seeing if like there's a table with bananas or something and there's nothing, there's nothing. I don't see anything. I'm looking around and I hear my name being yelled and, uh, our buddy rusty comes out of this bar restaurant with a piece of pizza <laughs> And he goes, you look like you need this. <laughs> and, oh, man, what a lifesaver, Was Rusty. it just the most amazing slice of pizza? Oh, my God. It was so good. <laughs> Rusty always pulls through with the food. Like, he sure does. He's he's yeah. a, a, an amazing griller and smoker. Well, he's, he's my neighbor now since we moved. And someone at the bar, like someone that he didn't know or I didn't know, they were like, He's a good friend. And he looked at him and said, we're neighbors. <laughs> so thank you, Rusty. Appreciate that. That's amazing. <laughs> so uh, what's next on the calendar? Next up. That's a great question. I think I'm going to do Fast Fitty. Okay. Which is coming up in a few weeks. That's in Charlotte. Yep. Um, I didn't race it last year, but I've done the course a couple times. It's it's a decent course. It's kind of our local gravel race. Mm-hmm. It's the most local one. That yeah, we, it's fifteen minutes away. Yeah, that and maybe Uncle John's. Uncle John's. Is, yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty equal. Yep. Um, so I'm thinking about that. I'm just I'm trying to decide. Yeah, I I, I think it's kind of there's not much for a while. So yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, fast fifty. Come June, there's a couple more races. I know uh, Cow Pie, um, and then it's before Cow Pie, Sancho. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be able to make that one. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, so you signed up for Sancho. But I signed up for Sancho, but uh, I've been traveling a bit. For yeah, a I've, I've noticed you haven't been able to ride much. So, yeah, where like where has your travels been taking you? Just for work, yeah. You've oh, been... for work. Uh, let's see. I was in Pennsylvania. Then I was in Indiana. Then I was in Dallas, Texas. Then I was in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And uh, this upcoming Friday, I fly out to uh, Stockton, California, for three weeks. Oh goodness! Well, so I mean... I'm going to be on the. Oh, and then as soon as I get back from California, then I turn around and head straight to Seattle for four days. Jeez. I mean, and no riding. This sounds way too responsible. Well, I rode last weekend, and I actually got hit by a car. Yeah, I I wasn't sure if you wanted to talk about that. Oh, do we want to get into it, or do you want to wait and tell that story later? I don't. I like. Long story short, car went by really close. I gestured at said car. Car driver pulled over. We exchanged some words. Then uh, Tristan and I continued on, and the guy came back around and intentionally hit me. Yeah, at at least fifty five miles an hour. It hit your hand, right? You stayed yeah. up though, right? Yeah, I stayed up, hit, hit my uh, left hand, and blew my blew the skin open pretty good. And yeah, yeah, it, it was it was a mess. Yeah, and I know like there's been a lot of us like 
talking on social media about about it and scary man i mean yeah. that's well and then what's crazy is my older brother brian he lives out in uh laverne california yeah he rides with uh cameras and just yesterday had a really really close call and his camera caught all of it and got the guy's license plate all that stuff oh really yeah yeah but it was yeah they, you know someone had an entire lane to give him to pass and just blew right by him Ugh. that is that is super Ter- it's, terrifying it, it's always on pavement too yeah you never see that on gravel well i mean i think that's a that's a huge reason that gravel is so appealing drivers on you know you'll go by a car on a gravel road and they wave 80 percent of the time yeah I've, I've never um had a close call on zwift either yeah. <laughs> get out of here <laughs> shut the hell up trevor <laughs> <laughs> I, I I do joke, but I think that is a big reason things like Zwift too are taking off. It's because oh, yeah, of the safety aspect. Just, yeah, of, I drive, people are driving yeah. like idiots. Yeah, I think I think there's a cameras. I think are going to become more and more prevalent on on bikes, and then also like the radar, like mm-hmm. the Varia and and things like that. I th- I think they're they're smart to have them on on your bike and just so you're aware, be more aware out there and. Uh, but yeah, super scary. I'm glad you're fine. I'm glad you're okay. It was it was crazy. Do do you th- does that cause some pause before you for you to to go out? I mean, are you are you do you feel still like secure to go out and, oh, yeah. and ride? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this isn't the first time you've been hit by a car. I don't know why I'm laughing. It won't be the last. <laughs> and you've witnessed me and me and drivers in the past. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's there's a. <laughs> some equal amount of 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 frustration on both sides i will say when when there's incidents yeah, i'm real quiet yeah real quiet i want to like shrink into a hole when when you start yelling at drivers it scares me to death man a oh, dad raised his voice well man it's uh definitely a bummer that you uh got hit but it's it's more of a bummer that you you can't ride um haven't been able to yeah, ride for lately. the next couple of weeks it's it's gonna be tough i'm gonna try to get out this week because i'm not flying out till friday I, if you're when you're in san francisco i bet you can at least get like a i wonder if you can rent a bike or i don't know i bet there's like a uh e-bikes that you can rent or something <laughs> so i can go around the the park you know with a little basket on the front and have a jolly good time. <laughs> um, but no, I'm glad you're working hard, man. I mean, you got to make that ferret money somehow, dude. You ferret gotta- <laughs> money, bolt cutter money. <laughs> you are building up your bike. We've talked about that already. But so you've been seeing some sneak peek pictures. It's- oh man, looks good. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about that happened this weekend. Um, my dog is bursting into the recording room. Uh. Here in Michigan, we of course have a bunch of races, gravel races, but uh, we had the Fargo Sub Forty Eight. Um, it's a it's a bike packing. It's like an introduction to bike packing, and I I feel like it's a really uh, it. Uh, I don't know how how would you explain it. We we haven't done it, so we're not the ones no, to explain. And it. I want to do it we've so t- bad. We've talked about it before. Uh, Matt Acker and Jenny Acker talked about it on their episode. Brett. Miller has done it. And normally, he, it's an autumn event. So yeah, so here's the thing: it's normally in the fall, mm-hmm. and because 
Barry Roubaix has been moved to the fall. They moved Fargo Sub-48 to the spring. So it's, I think it's the first time that it's been in the spring. I believe so. But it's always a different route, and it's like a two-day overnight um, bikepacking party. And every time I see pictures of whatever year it was, and especially this year, it's like, ugh. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, just, uh, And I think especially for people like... It would be great for me or for you who have never done a true bikepacking experience to like dip our toe into it that way, be around a lot of people that really know what they're doing. And then it's just like a bunch of cool cycling people having a You know what bikes would be super dope for that? Well, it would would have to be our 26ers, right? Damn (laughs) straight. Can I please put gears on mine? I no, I have your derailleur. I'm holding it hostage. <laughs> That's what happens when you leave crap in my house. I'm like, no, you have to keep riding single speed, bitch. <laughs> Can I at least change my gearing? Of course. Okay. All right. Oh, speaking of single speed, there was a dude that uh, I think he came in like eighth place at Heart Hills. Um. Keep in mind, I came in in 10th place, yeah. so he, he beat me um, in his 50s on a single-speed mountain bike. What? Yeah. Holy crap. I think uh, Steve Vianney, or St- Steve, I th- he's out of, um, I, I'm assuming it's the Traverse area because he had a Haggerty kit okay. on, yep. but uh, he was a monster, a monster, and I didn't even realize he had single speed. He was riding so strong and then I, i'm like you've got to be I, I was you got to be kidding me that he's on, on on single speed i i think he had experience with that course mm-hmm. and then also he talked about um the manton divide mm-hmm. that's kind of up in the same it's, area yeah, it's real close and people were saying that's it's kind of a similar uh course feel but yeah he smashed it man he definitely smashed it i mean all right what what else Oh, Mud, Sweat, and Beers was uh, this past week. Oh, so not only did we have a backpacking... We had a full-blow mountain bike race. Yeah. So, no, but yeah, so we had a, a gravel race, a backpacking event, and a mountain bike um, race. I mean, it was a race. It, it, it's starting to feel like a cycling season. Yeah, no kidding. All in the same weekend, and it, it was like 80 degrees. It was amazing. If it wasn't for the stupid wind. Well, so I got my second vaccine shot. Oh, yeah. Knocked yeah. me out. This entire weekend was basically a wash. I went out, uh, grabbed a drink with uh, you and a few people. On maybe, maybe, maybe a couple drinks. A couple drinks. Friday. <laughs> then Saturday, I worked at the bike shop. Then I went out with a few friends uh, just for dinner. No drinks. And I slept all day Sunday. Man, it was it, it was weird. It like, must have been it must have been bad because it was so nice out. I thought for sure you'd get out. Eighty degrees, and it I, you know when I saw the weather forecast, I'm like, sweet, I'm gonna get out for a yeah. ride. I didn't leave bed the entire day Sunday. Oh my god, yeah. But I woke up today, felt a lot better. Still a little. It's it's weird. It's like kind of just a foggy feeling. Mm-hmm. But at least I'm not. At least I'm up and about. Sure. Like yesterday, I was just done. Yeah. So crazy. I mean, we don't really need to talk a ton about vaccines but it, it's just weird how everybody's affected a little yeah, differently I, I i really had no issues one more thing like one other thing i want to talk about sheldon have you seen um any of the new impossible route 
video uh, on on YouTube. Not yet. So it's uh, Tyler Pierce, vegan cyclist, who we talked to. Jeremiah Bishop, who we've talked to <laughs> about their original impossible route where they yep. they went up the, the Mount Kilauea. Yeah, like the the volcano in in Hawaii. This one they do. I forget what it's called, but it's a it's a route through Death Valley mm-hmm. originally for motorcycles. It's like a motorcycle trip, um, but they do it on on bikes. Check it out. It's it the one the production value is outstanding. It's, well, I'd expect no less from Tyler. Yeah, but they have a full crew really? following them, so it's it is top notch, and uh, it's 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 a good it's a good watch. I uh, I recommend it. So check it out. Will do. Well, if there's uh, nothing else, I say we just get into the conversation with Mike Cushenberry and Patrick Brady. Cush and Patrick have been a part of cycling journalism and media for years, working with publications like Bicycling Magazine and Dirt Rag. I pick their brains a little bit about some industry details, and of course, we talk a lot about gravel and community, and they share all about their new fully independent cycling news project, The Cycling Independent. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining the Dirty Chain podcast with us right now. With us today, we have Mike Cushenberry, Cush, and Patrick Brady, cycling media veterans and co-founders of the Cycling Independent. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for uh, looking into Cycling Independent and contacting us. We very much appreciate it. Before we dive into um, our conversation, I think it would be good for myself and for our listeners. Um, could each of you kind of give us a little introduction about um, who you are, where you are in the world right now, currently, and and then just maybe a little, um, you know, background of uh, you know how you got to um, the place you are in cycling industry media currently right now. <laughs> Kush, why don't you lead? I was going to say, why don't you lead? But um, yeah, I will start. Um, I started right out of college um, at a little, maybe unknown magazine called Mountain Bike Action and uh, went from there (laughs) and just uh, continued through the cycling media from then on to this point in time. I've been at many major magazines, bicycling, bicycling. I was editor-in-chief at Dirt Rag for five years, and, um, you know, my background is bike racing and just everything cycling, and I've made a career out of it. What he's leaving out here is that there's no one else in the media who's done time at more major magazines than he has. (laughs) And on top of that, this guy was racing pro. He says he wasn't fast enough to really be pro, but... Dude was like, you know, unmitigated badass. So, uh, you know, we, we've got to do something to like uh, cut away the modesty here. I call it elite. I was at an elite level. But um, yeah, like Patrick said, I'm 20, I'm going on 25 years and the, the bike industry is media and marketing. And it's um, culminated here at the Cycling Independent. And it's, I'm really happy with what we're doing and the direction that we're going in. Very cool. Before we get into more about the cycling independent, Patrick, tell us about your uh, background in all of this. 
Okay. Uh, I was born and raised in the South and I shouldn't be here. I'm supposed to be on stage somewhere. Well, maybe not right this minute, thanks to the pandemic, but I'm supposed to be on stage somewhere uh, playing drums in a rock and roll band. Uh, ah. That didn't really pan out. Uh, and along the way, I got interested in uh, lyric writing because I was writing songs, thought I should be better at writing lyrics, took a poetry workshop, uh, met a guy who became my mentor and uh, said, uh, I want one person I can drive crazy with ambition. And I raised my hand. It, it was more rhetorical, but I, <laughs> I raised my hand. And uh, somewhere along the line, he said, you know what I like about poetry? And I said, no, Gordon, I don't know what you like about poetry. He said, well, you're a one man religion. <laughs> and I kind of liked that. So I ended up going uh, to UMass Amherst, getting a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. So whereas Cush and all my other colleagues went to J school and did the right thing, uh, I went the harebrained route uh, and studied poetry. And once I finished graduate school, I was already freelancing for some magazines. And I moved to the West Coast, not too far from where Cush was, uh, and joined the staff of Bicycle Guide. From there, I launched uh, the first of the super premium magazines, uh, Asphalt. Um, and you can still see echoes of it in Peloton today. And then went on to freelance for basically everybody under the sun. Uh, you know, Peloton, bicycling, road bike action, uh, on and on. But I was more on the roadside for a long time, even though I started out riding both mountain bikes and road bikes. Um, in 2009, I launched Red Kite Prayer and ran that for 11 years. And last spring, uh, I started having ideas about something, uh, something new, something different. Um, as much as I loved RKP, I thought I was seeing a sea change in the media and I wanted to try to get out in front of that. Um, the other important biological detail, if we will, uh, is that in 2015, I left Southern California for Northern California. And these days I'm in Sonoma County. Okay. Kush, where, I don't think you mentioned where you are currently in the world. I've uh, grew up in Orange County and moved by way of Orange County to Pennsylvania for 10 years when I was uh, part of the bicycling team. And then as when I was with Dirt Rag, I was still in Pennsylvania and then I moved to San Luis Obispo as you know Patrick mentioned we weren't that far apart when I was with Lazine doing marketing and now I decided to get away from it all my wife and I and we are in Prescott Arizona by the trails and just kind of off the grid but not too far off the grid okay so both uh, west coast ish yes. I guess yeah very very nice well, same time zone right now. Same time zone, not <laughs> not not the same time zone as myself. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, kind of side note, Patrick. Um, I went to music school and I studied songwriting. I went to uh, Berkeley in Boston. Oh for, wow! For a few years, so we have that uh, kind of in common. Wow, what's um, your instrument? Uh, guitar, piano. I'm a singer. Um, but but like most at Berkeley, I left after two years and, and never returned. So, <laughs> but anyways, back to it. Uh, Patrick, you mentioned 
noticing a, a like a sea change in the media and I mean we might this this might be like a, a, a kind of a direct question but I'm I'm wondering in terms of cycling independent what was that sea change that you wanted to get ahead of and um and then um inspired you to to start the cycling independent sure well there are two things one is the change in the way manufacturers are spending their dollars on advertising uh, more and more, they're doing like Google ads and other things like that. And they're, they're buying advertising in places other than the cycling media. And there's a good reason for that because, you know, you can target your ads more easily now. You know, anytime you open up uh, the, you know, the LA Times or the Detroit Free Press and suddenly you see an ad for Pearl Izumi or whoever, you know, and uh, it's there on your newspaper. It's like, wow, well, the CPM, the cost per thousand on that is very inexpensive compared to cycling media. You don't have a great sense of whether or not that person looking at that ad really will buy your product, but it's so much cheaper. It's not a bad way to spend your dollars. So not only are dollars being pulled away from print media, dollars are also being pulled away from what has been spent uh, online with you know, the likes of uh, Cush's old, old employer, Dirt Rag. And, you know, you've got Pink Bike and you've got Bicycling and you've got all these different publications vying for what is, for all purposes, a shrinking pie. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have a media organization that survives this ongoing change, I don't know, maybe think about your revenue a little bit differently. The, there's another piece of this, um, which is just the way that uh, people are consuming media and what they want out of the experience. And more and more, I see feedback from readers that they want, they want a higher level of confidence that they're not actively being sold something at every turn. And so the Cycling Independent was a response to... Um, the fact that I didn't want to be in that scrum uh, trying to sell advertising against bicycling and pink bike. I like those guys. I really don't like being in competition. Uh, and so I didn't, I didn't want to fight with them for those dollars. And I wanted to look to our audience for the support that we need. I figured if we provide a great product, people will support us. Um, and, th- you know, there's one other small thing which uh, has been written about a little bit here and there is that some of the media companies, no names mentioned, but some of them are getting very, very aggressive on the quid pro quo angle for editorial. So they're actively selling their editorial as a means to pull the ads in. And that's just not how I want to do my job. Kush, how did you then join um, in on Patrick's idea here? <laughs> he, he just sent me an email and said, hey, what do you think about this idea? And I was all in uh, coming from Dirt Rag because even, if, you know, Dirt Rag, we did things differently back then. It was independent media and Patrick, just everything you just described now is we're very much at the cycling independent, independent media. It's in our name. 
And, you know, if you look at our content, it was, it was a vision that I really wanted to do. I mean, while we have, we have a small degree of reviews, we're really about the storytelling, which I love, you know, and, and the contributors that we have are, it's kind of a rotating mass of contributors that are coming and going and they're, um, but they, they have full-time jobs. They're not professional. Some of them are professional writers, writers, some aren't, they just love bicycle storytelling. So we're just doing a lot of storytelling. And I think that really shows up from in Patrick's background as a, you know, I'm a journalist and he, you know, he talks a lot about being a musician and a poet. And I think it just kind of, it's like a mesh that comes together and you can see it when you read our content. We're not like anyone else. Amen. Here's something that he can't tell you. And that is after talking with a few people who advised me, because uh, I made some phone calls to people who say, how stupid am I being here? Um, and uh, none of them said I was stupid enough. So I, I rolled with it. Kush uh, was literally my first phone call. My absolute first phone call. He was the first person I thought of. He was the first person I talked to. And it, it, I knew that he was in a big way, a linchpin for this taking off because we both have credibility. We both have history. But we've done our we've pursued our careers in two different ways. And if we team up, people can't ignore us. They absolutely cannot ignore us. Um, and so when he was all in from the very first phone call, um, well, I began working like 14 hour days. You mentioned storytelling, which um, I really am interested in. But also you mentioned reviews and how there there are a few reviews. And I'm curious how do you I, I love the idea of remaining independent from the industry, but how you, you can't be totally separate from the industry though, because it's still you're still a, an industry led website or or um so sure. so then how do you balance that uh, remaining independent but still being very much a part of the industry? Well, I would say that the nature of our independence, the 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 chord we want to strike loudest uh, would be the one that, you know, there's there's no money changing hands. There's there are no dollars influencing what you see posted. That's the sort of independence that uh, we were concerned about conveying to our audience. But independence comes through in a whole variety of ways. And let me just say, you know, Kush and I very much are a team. The name, the Cycling Independent, was his idea. We were batting around ideas, and he was like, you know, we need to hit this note loud and clear. And he was absolutely right. I, um, I've, I've listened to a few of the, uh, the Paceline podcasts episodes and i think in the in the middle of there you you give a a pretty great uh um uh synopsis synopsis to what the cycling independent is all about and i really resonate to it um oh thanks how it's it's for every rider and and it's 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 a it's a site to to give information to the everyday rider it's not just for road riders or, you know, elite riders or whatnot. And mm -hmm. I think, I think that's kind of the, the, 
the tone that we try to strike here at the Dirty Chain is we're just regular guys wanting to talk about our favorite thing, cycling and Michigan cycling and drinking beers. And you're, you, you, the two of you are kind of doing it on an even larger, larger level and bringing in more people. Um, so when I think about uh, journalism and reporting, I, I don't think storytelling necessarily is at the top of my list there. I think about reviews and I think about um, brands and all of these things. But as... I, I guess as as media has changed, how have you seen storytelling being more and more important? I think that the uh, you know one of the bigger thing is like I said, we still do reviews, but when you read a review from on the Cycling Independent, there's not going to be a you know a buy it now, which you see so so often, and you know we're authentic, we're using stuff that we like, and it's it's kind of um, we're trying to be just be true to what we're doing and you know again it's very difficult to be if you're if you're a media outlet and you're basing your whole your whole thing on reviews bike companies as as we've all seen in this environment bikes are sold out parts are sold out it's impossible to get stuff companies they don't they don't need to advertise they don't need to send you stuff to review it's just kind of a, a feel good kind of thing. And, you know, we, Patrick and I, and our staff, we have friends throughout the whole bike industry in every company, but I think it's, you know, it's kind of, we're looking more towards doing something different with, you know, like ask Stevel that we have, which, you know, is just a whole different, unique story. And we're getting, you know, Victor Vincente of America to write a, a essay for us. So I think it kind of goes back to the whole where we do essays and to make people want to get off, want to get off the couch and ride their bike. They're feeling down like, oh man, I don't, I don't know what to do today. And then you read a story like 80 year old Victor Vincente just rode, you know, (laughs) receded to the sea. And you're like, man, what am I doing here sitting (laughs) on my couch? Why am I not riding my bike? And it's, you know, we're, and we're trying to convey that as well in our reviews, you know, more Mm -hmm. of a get off, you know, get outside and ride your bike. Not, not, Hey, you need to buy, Hey, you need to buy this. We're more get off, you know, maybe you want this, maybe you don't either way, get out and go for a ride. I think that's kind of what we're, what we're trying to do. Sure. Yeah. I, I would I certainly echo that. And I would add that, you know, I think there's been a big change in cycling. Um, It's harder for me to speak to the mountain bike side, but certainly on the road side, you know, after Lance's downfall and the reason decision and all of that, I detected a, a big decrease in interest in pro racing. And for me, that wasn't a bad thing because I've always been more interested in uh, supporting Stoke, supporting the riding life of my reader. Um, The various uh, features of my personality come together in a way that I like supporting quality of life, Uh, whether that means like Maslow and, you know, uh, personal fulfillment or, or just something simpler in terms of like having a nice ride. Uh, 
but ultimately, yeah, you know, actualization, seeing cycling as a means to personal discovery and how that uh, brings meaning to our lives and, you know, uh, happiness in a bigger picture. So I love writing to that. I love writing in a way I, I, I often told manufacturers as I was involved in advertising sales, uh, I'd give my little spiel and then walk out of the room and let the ad guy close the deal. But I would tell people, look, my job is customer retention. My job is to keep dedicated cyclists in cycling. If I do my job right, uh, can we go explicit or should I keep it clean? Oh, go explicit. Okay. So my job is when they, when someone finishes reading one of my pieces, the, the whole point there is for them to close that browser window and think fucking a, I'm going for a ride in the morning. That's my job. Nothing else. It's to keep the fire on the stoke. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, what I, what I'm hearing, but a word we haven't used yet is supporting community. And, and I, and I think that what, what you guys are, are scratching at is, is building a community and supporting a community or being part of a vibrant cycling community. And, and I, and I just, I, I appreciate getting out of the dollars and cents of it and getting more to the, the heart of it or, or back to the heart of it, I guess. And, um, and having that be, be your focus um, yeah, that's kind of, um, that's what we want to do with, you know, cycling independent is we're, uh, I mean, it's in our logo community weekly and, you know, where that's what we want to accomplish is to be a part of, we want our readers to be a part of us. And, um, going back to, back to what Patrick was saying is, um, you know, you're not going to see pro racing covered on our site, but we will cover, their, you know, their, what they're doing. And, you know, you'll probably, I'd love, you know, I came from a racing background and doing laps and all that stuff, but I love fastest known time. Like, yeah, we're going to cover yeah. that. I personally, I'll, I'll cover that every day because it's just so exciting to me. And just so like, you know, nowadays I, I can't do that, but back, back in the day, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, man, why couldn't have that been around, you know, way yeah. back when, when I, you know, when I was in my twenties and thirties, like, I love that. So that, that's the kind of stuff and it's fun. And, you know, the gravel scene and same thing, it's just making bike racing fun as opposed to just, you know, we, you know, I love racing, but you know, we're not going to cover it to the extent of, you know, Velo news and that they have their niche and that's fine. We're more about the social aspect, which, you know, fastest known time is it's very social still because it's just, yeah. And it just, it may, and I think it, it makes you want to ride. Now you're into uh, you, you like FKTs, but, but what about Everesting? I mean, what, how do you feel about that? Oh, that's I, perfectly fine. That's, that's awesome. I'm not going to go anywhere near it. Let me be clear. <laughs> My days of even dreaming about that, uh, you know, in one cycle of the sun that, you know, that's gone. What I'll say, you know, in a larger sense is like when we go to an event, like I was at the Tour de Place Roubaix last weekend, 
we're not going to cover it as a race. We're going to cover it as an experience. Yeah. And we're going to talk about all the features of an event that make it worthy of you thinking about buying a plane ticket or loading up the car, whatever it takes. So again, coming back to that experience of our audience and what we can do to inspire them. Now, you also mentioned gravel, Kush, you mentioned gravel, and uh, we are huge, uh, my, my co-host Sheldon, who's, who's not here tonight, but we're, we're, we are gravel nerds, and it's really like what our main focus of, of, of bike genre is. Yes. Um, and, you know, there's, everyone's talking about gravel now. And it's almost like Thank God. too much. <laughs> it could be over talked about, but a lot of these things that you are talking about about um, uh, events and community and uh, people getting excited about riding again. I mean, I feel like they are due to the rise of gravel. Is that are you? Do you guys feel the same way? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, one of the things about the Tour de France is you know. I mean, how many cyclists out of the entire population are ever going to race that? Like, what, a tenth of a percent? You know, anybody listening to this can enter Unbound. Uh, you know, they can do one of the shorter lengths. They, they can do the half pint like yep. I did my first time. They can do the whole banana. What I love is that, you know, there's a story there to talk about, like, if uh, Allison Tetrick breaks the record again, you know, smashes Celine's record. That's, you know, that's an interesting story, but it's an event that we as mortals can all go out and still do. And if you're like me and you're out there like nearly 18 and a half hours, um, you know, okay, fine. And I think also to, uh, you know, Patrick's point right there, you know, it's when you're watching the tour, I still watch the tour, you know, and, and so profile racing. <laughs> But when there's, you know, it's when the tour, when there's a, a day when they hit the gravel, everyone's just, holy crap. Yeah, there it is. Everyone's like, holy crap. They're going to, it's going to be a gravel day. And everyone watches it and comments on it. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's it's one of the things of a, about pro racing that always bugged me was so often the courses were so sanitized that, you know, you never really got anything all that interesting. If they did more of that, you know, where it's like no holds barred, there was that one time trial in the Giro uh, circa, I don't know, 2011 or so. And Danilo DeLuca, if I recall correctly, destroyed it. It was in the Cinque Terre and it was up and down and around and up and down and, you know, rolling and twisting, super, super technical and very nearly blew the race apart. If the Grand Tours had more unpredictable factors in them and stuff that like, you know, sky or whoever, or whatever, uh, you know, if they couldn't just control the race and it was more unpredictable and more easily blown apart because of the race course, I'd probably still be watching. Uh, you're, you're definitely seeing some more of that in pro racing, not a ton. I mean, it's almost just like a, a nod to what they know is popular and then what they can get away with, with the pro riders. Cause I feel like they'll complain too much if there's, mm. uh, Oh my know. gosh. Yeah. But yeah. we don't have to talk about that. We, we don't have to talk about <laughs> pros. Or but yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But going back to gravel, I, um, man, I ride my gravel bike right now 
more than more than my mountain bike because a lot of the a lot of the trails here in Prescott are there's a lot of single track that is gravel bike friendly and you can just haul the mail on it and take the road to get there and I think it's really bringing you know more people it's it's exciting it's bringing more people into the sport and everyone's getting behind it and I mean they just love it now Kush so should, kind of, he should tell you that he's got a, a chamois Hagar so he's got a bike that it really is <laughs> among among drop bar rigs for single track. He's on one of the best things out there. So and plus he's got handling skills like very few people you'll talk to in the next week. So <laughs> and I remember and I remember John Tomac too when he when he <laughs> rode drop bars at Mammoth. Oh yeah, because yes. I was there. So yes, <laughs> oh that's fantastic. <laughs> well, what what we've seen in in Michigan, um, there there's been a road scene, you know, for forever. Um, also, a mountain bike scene, a pretty vibrant one. Um, but uh, in the last ten or so years, gravel has just taken over, and a couple reasons why. Like, it's like the perfect culmination of uh, the industry has has really been pushing the the gravel scene and gravel bikes and new technologies coming out and it's more accessible to people but michigan has a majority of gravel roads and it just makes really? so much sense that i can't go out my door and piece together a good road ride because i'm gonna hit a gravel road but what i can do is is have one of the best gravel rides um, just because everything is gravel around here and you get out of the cities, it's all gravel. And, oh. and so, and because of that though, and because of the, the popularity of it, well, all of a sudden this gravel community has formed all across the state. That's been, uh, there's probably 20 or so races and we put them all together and you see the same faces at, at each race. And, um, it's just such a, a positive and it, if you want it to be competitive, it can be competitive. If you want it mm-hmm. to be fun, mm-hmm. it can be fun. And it is exactly what you want gravel to be. And that's kind of why we started the podcast was just to talk about these events we love so much. And it's kind of exploded from there and talking and, you know, exploring other gravel scenes or other cycling scenes or, or, mm-hmm. or different things mm-hmm. from there. And then talking to uh, people like you guys that uh, have been a part of the scene for so long, too. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things I love about gravel is that, you know, I'm fond of saying that, you know, you can't beat me at a gravel event. We'll be out there and you may ride faster than I did, (laughs) but you didn't beat me because I wasn't racing you. Yeah. I was racing myself. I was out there to see what I had inside, what I could do. And, you know, that allows the finish line to be a family reunion. You know, you get there and there's not that guy who sat on your wheel and sprinted past you for third. Uh, you know, there's none of that stupid stuff. And believe me, I lived that for more years there's, than I care to report. There's still some of that, that stuff in gravel. Well, but, you know, I mean, if you really do go in and you want to be on the podium, I get that. And that's yeah. fine. You know, and somebody can choose to have that experience. But that's the thing. You've got the freedom to decide I'm chasing the podium or I'm just chasing a good day, or I just want to be out here and have a nice ride. It's open to whatever it is you want. And that's something that cycling has lacked for a very long time. The century thing, for whatever reason, never captured that vibe of what runners get in marathons. Mm -hmm. Um, And finally with gravel events, cycling has its version of the marathon. 
And I'm so excited about that because it does so much to build community. Like with the grasshoppers here in Sonoma County, you know, we get to the top of Willow Creek Road just outside of Occidental and it's beer and potato chips and, you know, all sorts of other stuff, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe a little weed because it is Sonoma County, um, you know, but people are hanging out together and we're cheering people as they come in. And it's funny how if you're the 10th across the line, there aren't many people to cheer you. But if you're the 100th across the line, there are a whole lot of people to cheer you. And there's something kind of beautiful in that. It, it, yeah, it is. It's, you know, if you, you know, you, you've done like the, if you've done, you know, the DK or the Mid-South and it's like the whole town is out there. And even, yeah. you know, on the mountain bike side, like Leadville, the entire town is out there. And that's, you know, these are, you know, hundred mile races and, and what, what have you, mm -hmm. but that's the community. Everyone is out there and that's where, bike racing, I think is going. Cause you have all these, you know, retired pros who are doing this stuff now and they're, they're getting the coverage, they're getting the media coverage and they're making the videos, which, you know, we post and that yeah. that's where it's going. It, I think as opposed to, you know, doing someone who just does like a, you know, a U.S. cup and they, you know, do a lap race and they win. No one, no one's covering it, but you go out and win, you know, a, mid-south or dk and uh you know you're suddenly a legend well your friends are going to want to know what your experience was at the mid-south or wherever whereas yeah. if you go do some 35 minute masters one two three crit <laughs> oh you raced last weekend cool How, how'd you finish they're not going to ask anything else how'd you finish i was pack fodder okay cool uh, you know but I crashed. Yeah, you go to the mid-south they want to hear was it really that red you know, it was, that was my last race ever. Ooh. I sandbagged, I sandbagged and I think it was 2017. I sandbagged How do you sandbag Mid-South. How do you I sandbag did, that? I did the 50 mile race instead of the 100 and I won last race I ever did. What? And I won. <laughs> no comment. And it is as gnarly and nasty. It was pouring rain 35. Oh, just, you so were there that year. I was there that year. I won the 50 miler. I feel like I sandbagged, but, uh, I think okay, was, I'm not going to argue yeah, with you. You I, did. <laughs> I know I didn't do the hundred mile because they had like five people finish the hundred miler. Yeah. Well, uh, and I saw the weather and I'm like, I'm not doing hundred miles. I'm going to do the 50 mile. <laughs> that was much like last year, 2020. It was, it was awful too. Um, yeah, we, mm -hmm. we talked to uh, Bobby Wintle, um, a couple episodes ago, all about Mid South, and that I mean, speaking of community, I mean that guy is is all about community, and and the the event that he puts on is just uh, supports the city, and also mm -hmm. brings out so many others for the community. Um, I mean, it builds community on so many levels. Once they perfect cloning, I'm going to submit his name. <laughs> um, so. It's it's obvious to me, and probably everyone listening, that uh, the both of both of you are still passionate about cycling, whether it's gravel, whether it's it's just the uh, something that's vi the vibrant scene that is cycling, or the the personal fulfillment that is reached, or the community fulfillment. Um, how do you keep yourself no being a part of all the details for so many years? How do you keep yourself from getting jaded 
and stay passionate about cycling. I'm, I'm jaded as fuck. Can I say that? Wait, can I, can, With wait, a smile can I on say his that? face. You did. No, you can did. I say that? Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I still ride my bike. Um, when, when Mrs. Cush isn't making me do home improvements and working in the yard and all that stuff. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I still, I think once you, like you can't stop riding a bike, I think. Once yeah. you, because I remember, you know, back in my younger days in my entire life, it's like waking up and going, where am I going to ride today? And, you know, every place I've lived has been a choice of where I don't have to drive a car to ride my bike. So, you know, even like I said, I'm jaded as F, um, <laughs> you know, that's still just part of my life where, you know, when we decide where we're going to live, it's yeah. about cycling and, and even just outdoor sports, you know, hiking, we hike a lot. We don't have to drive to hike. So it's, it's a lifestyle, I guess just, yeah. uh, comes down to a lifestyle and it's been my career for my entire life yeah. is outdoor writing and, and writing and that's the choice I made. Yeah, that's great. Patrick, what about you? Um, you know, I guess one of the things that I should say is that for me, cycling, I mean, I started doing it was because it was fun. Okay. I'm, I'm no different from anyone else. I started doing it because it was fun somewhere along the line before I could articulate it to myself, it became a spiritual practice for me. I'm not a practicing Zen Buddhist, but this is very, very close to how I would practice Zen Buddhism. Um, you know, it's in the doing and it's, it's the thing that centers me. And, you know, you've listened to the pace line and I've shared on the pace line that I battled some really deep depression a few years back and uh the bike is what kept me here long enough to find the work that i did with ketamine psychedelics uh that got me out of the depression and far far from it and so now um cycling isn't my life preserver uh it's a way for me to celebrate life and i mean I, you know i I didn't do any events last year. And so I'm not as fit as I was. And so I've been going out and logging base miles. I am the stupid lo uh, Strava local legend on all the <laughs> bike paths around here. Cause I'm just logging slow, easy miles. Um, you know, I, do I want to be a local legend on a bike path? No, but the bike, just being on the bike, just turning the pedals. There's never a point when that stops not being good when that stops being good. <laughs> um, so for me, the act of going out for a ride and getting the sunshine and having that quiet time alone with my thoughts, um, it's a big, important part of my life. And I am an incredibly fortunate person to have the opportunity to share that passion with other people. Uh, I mean, Good grief. I got to marry two passions. How often do you get to do that? <laughs> That's great. And I, I, I guess I uh, maybe not challenge you, but 
if if either of you are feeling a little jaded, maybe you should just go back and listen to yourself. Tell tell that <laughs> tell that little part of your story. That's fair. I know. <clears throat> That's I absolutely know. fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I'll, I'll I mean, I mean, bookmarked. Yeah. I know. Obviously, I make I make fun because I'm very uh, sarcastic of myself, but but it's you know I've been doing this for you know racing and all this stuff for 25 years and like logging geez at 1.18 to 20 hours a week on my bike Mm -hmm. um i wish i could go i kind of actually wish i could go back to that but you know i'm older now and things change and i'm not tinker (laughs) although i love tinker i just like talk to him and he posts random stuff and like Dude, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm still uh, training but, like 24 hours a week, right? You know, but yeah. you know, with that though, I mean, this is, I mean, thank you both of you for uh, for sharing that. I think it was it's it's beautiful, and we and people, I'm sure, resonate. I resonate to that, and how cycling it always kind of creeps back, and and it's just it's always there. It's always been a part of my life, um, but. What I love about the changing landscape of cycling and you think as you're getting older and and uh, you think, well, you know, I'm too old to race, you know, road. And then all of a sudden this gravel thing happens. It's like, oh, I can get get up, get up on this event and, and join this thing and be a part of this. And then, oh, well, I'm in a I'm in a cold weather climate or maybe maybe there are kids in my life and I and I have to my my schedules. Well, now there's this whole Zwift thing. So now I can race Zwift, you know, and that has opened up a whole world to so Mm -hmm. many other people. Absolutely. Um, And so I think there's always going to be something that no matter what part of your life you're in, the the bike can feed something for you. And uh, it's just there if you if you look for it. Exactly. That's the opportunity is there. Yeah, that is 100 percent true. Um, You know, like I said, I like I'm sarcastic of myself and and uh, whatnot. But all my greatest experiences have come from cycling. And I could tell you I could tell you two hours of stories about just about racing bikes and the people I've met and that stupid stuff that i've done with he's lying of, okay he's yeah, lying he yeah. could tell a lot more than two hours <laughs> the one thing yeah. about kush that bugs me is he's the only person i know more modest than i am <laughs> they would i could tell you about that mark weir piss bucket in downeyville but i mean that that's just kind of the you know that's just a little bit of uh that's just the tip of the iceberg of but but you know that's but yeah bike racing and, and i'm pretty sure that everyone who rides a bike could tell the same kind of stories. I mean, you know, going back to the whole gravel thing, I remember uh, just um, the road team that I was on, the road team in quotes, um, Lion of Flanders, where we would, um, we were just such jackasses, like, because we were really fast. And he really says strong. that lovingly. <laughs> I know. We were just really fast and really strong in Pennsylvania, um, around where there were a lot of track racers and by the velodrome and whatnot. And like, we would, we would just control like the Saturday group ride. And we would, before gravel was a thing, we would just, Hey, we're going to take this dirt road. And like the pure roadies would just get so mad (laughs) because we would just, and then we would hit like single track and just do all this stupid stuff. 
And I mean, that, that was bike riding that yeah. that's you come back with so many stories about you know when you just look back and go man i mean i got beer hand-ups from an olympian on the sunday world championships you know in your local sunday world championships <laughs> in a bonds bag with miller with a miller high life the team <laughs> you know our, our our team leader was like hey we got to." there were only three of us he's like hey we got to be in the front when we go over that climb because name redacted is going to be it's going to be is going to be at the top of the climb because he lived there and he's like he's going to have musette bags which are basically just bonds bags with, with a miller high life in it and he's like we grab them we open them <laughs> and so i mean that that's the kind of stories that i don't think you hear in any other sport you know you're not going to hear like you know anywhere else where where you can get away with that. And, you know, back in the good old days of cyclocross, you know, the, the Emmaus crew and like so many fond memories. And that's what cycling has brought to me, just all these great memories. And, you know, I'm still, I live on those memories and still ride my bike. And I think, you know, Patrick is looking to me like, you know, he has the same, like we just, and I'm sure you do too, Trevor is, you know, you just a history of cycling is just memories and great stuff and friends. Okay, I'm going to turn the tables here, Trevor. I want you. If we were to come out for one gravel event, which one would it be? Um, and if it's pure gravel, then it would it would be Barry Roubaix. Um, it I've, is. I've certainly heard good things yeah, about it. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's been around the longest. Uh um in michigan it's and uh it's definitely the largest and when you talk about a community that comes out and supports the event it kind of shuts down this whole town hastings michigan the whole town kind of shuts down and you know a town can either um uh be against that or embrace (laughs) it and they embrace it and they're they're city workers out there helping um there there are uh uh, the restaurants, you know, open up and, and definitely cater to the cyclists and the people that come out. And, um, and yeah, it, it's just, a, it's a whole city event. And then a ton of people from Michigan and, and from outside of Michigan come to, uh, to race in this. And, uh, and then it's, and, and then uh, honestly, the best part, the race is great. And it definitely mm. has, uh, it highlights some of the best gravel in the lower peninsula of Michigan, but uh, but the party afterwards, I mean, that's why you come. I mean, the uh, awesome the, the the food trucks and the beer and uh, and the podiums. I mean, it's just it's just a blast. So <laughs> it is it is it is the quintessential Michigan gravel race for sure. Now, if if you asked mm. me what event would you would I tell you to go to, I think Iceman would be oh the now, but that's the granddaddy, but that's a mountain bike. I mean, considered right. a mountain bike event. Right. And, right. um, probably just as large or larger than, than, uh, than Barry Roubaix. And, um, and that is all, just a kind of a whole other animal, but it's still a party. It's still a huge party. <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure I'm man enough for Iceman. Oh, you, uh, you are. It's, 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 it, it is another, I mean, like gravel, it, 
you you have the pros from Alexi Vermeulen or Jeff Kabush all the way to you're a beginner rider and you can tackle it. They let you do it. I mean, it's just and then they have like kids events and it's 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 awesome. It's such a cool uh, cool event and it's a point, yeah that's it's one a point to point I too wished, which is which is fun. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's one I wish I I had done when it wasn't cold. I know there's some warm ones, but yeah, like you said, uh, Kabush one and didn't um, rest in peace Steve Tilford win once, and yeah. I know that like uh, Travis mm-hmm. Brown is a legend on on that event. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a I, I'm showing my age. <laughs> I'm showing my age. <laughs> but that is some of the hit. There's some there's some deep uh, mountain bike history up in that area and uh and Iceman is is certainly been around long enough and has some deep history. Uh Jeff Kabush won it on drop bars. Uh <laughs> which, oh, which talk about mountain I bike I remember versus that. gravel yep. biking. Um he was, you know, I mean only, only someone like Kabush can get away with running drop oh, bars. I re- I remember I remember reading about that. And uh I mean yeah that we could just get started. I could tell like I said I could tell stories forever. Like when uh, Travis Brown rode on drop bars, leading out Armstrong at Leadville. Remember that? Oh, yep. You remember that? Yep. I mean, was that the beginning of gravel? When Travis showed up on a drop bar bike with his sole purpose was to just pull Armstrong all the way to, to until we blew. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, I could, I could talk about Michigan stuff all day, but that's kind of what I do. And, and they probably everyone listening is sick of it, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of change it a, a, a tiny bit. Thank you for talking about gravel and, um, and kind of getting deep there, but, um, this is going to shift it a little bit, but I, I, I I'm talking to journalists and I want to, I'm, I'm curious how, what you think about content. And this is kind of a, a, a abstract (laughs) word but we are in a world of content creation and Mm. and so as as two people that have been uh journalists like true journalists for for years and then now i feel like the the media landscape is almost clouded by content creators um and i listen i i'm kind of a content creator, I guess. And I, I consume a lot of content from just pure content creators, YouTubers, kind of things like that. I like it, but, but what, from your perspective, what's good about that and what could be better about that? No strong opinions here. (laughs) Um. It's, it's, um, (laughs) as as, uh, uh, I'll jump in as the, as the editor in, in chief, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's definitely uh, a unique situation because while I get, I mean, I could, I could, again, I could tell stories forever, but it's um, just to kind of break it down, you know, companies do, cause I, I, you know, I go way back companies do, I'll start with embargoes companies do embargoes because that was way, way back when, we would go to media launches and they would bring out their new bike widget, etc. And every journalist, as soon as they saw it, would run back to their room or just sit there in the presentation room and just post it on their website. And all the facts would be wrong. They'd have crappy <laughs> photos. 
So that's kind of where that originated because I was also on the marketing side um, in the, as well. And that's where that kind of originated because companies were like, you know, we just want like, you know, crappy content where everyone's just racing to be the first one to do it. And then, but then it also came to um, now with an embargo on filling the date, they, they're just this mass flood of content yeah, the, of the their same, new bike. The same shit. Like every single Everyone media has outlet has the exact same, like, like access, uh, 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 rival access a couple days ago was like everything I saw was rival access. Exact <laughs> same, yeah, it's the exact same content. So, you know, we're, it's good for a, for a brand, but it gets boring. And, you know, it, it, for us, Cycling Independent, we're trying to, uh, you know, do something a bit different than that. We don't want to just, you know, spew out the exact same thing. And it, it's kind of, um, I personally, I like, I like getting content videos from athletes about stuff and posting that that no one else has done like the, um, the orange seal one mm-hmm. that we just posted, uh, yesterday. Nobody else posted that, which I'm, you know, I'm happy about, you know, we got that, we posted it and that, that's the kind of like, you know, lifestyle content that I think that we excel at as opposed to saying, you know, like, like you just said, you know, the new SRAM is low cost it's better it's you know it's i might be rambling but but well, that's kind of um, no i mean like what i what i hear you saying of, though is there there is a a balance or there is a place for um like um going back to storytelling and storytelling mm-hmm. doesn't have to be from the pen of a journalist telling a story it can be from a guy with an iphone uh, telling his story of an event or something that, or a challenge that he overcame. And then it's, uh, so there is a place for that in this whole conversation. I think the thing is that, you know, when you, when you turn, when a company turns to an athlete and sponsors them and says, okay, you've got to produce this much content, you know, in air quotes for us, over the uh, term of this contract, you know, for, for this year, 2021, say uh, you've got to deliver, you know, this many social media posts, you've got to Mm -hmm. deliver this many videos. You've got to deliver this many, this you've got to go to this many events. All those things are spelled out in the contract. Uh, Very often there's a quote of like, you know, two social media posts a day, stuff like that. Um, Just because you go fast on a bike and just because you're a reasonably bright individual and just because you've got this contract with this bike company doesn't mean that that person is necessarily going to produce anything that's all that interesting. Storytelling is still fundamentally a skill. And one of the things, you know, alluding to what Kush was talking about, you know, we get these videos that were edited by people who understand what it means to tell a story in video. And that's one of the reasons that we're so psyched about those when they come our way. Uh, The latest uh, Red Bull video, uh, Chris Kyle, unbelievable. 
And if you watch the full 25 minute video where they give a few bloopers and they, they talk about what the inspiration was and they show the building of everything. Um, it's very interesting stuff, but not everybody really understands what it means to tell a story in terms of bringing you into a situation, giving you the lay of the land, building a character you're interested in, uh, you know, filtering that through that experience through that character and giving you some sort of ending, some sort of epiphany or something that makes you think that's why I ride or that's an event I'm going to go do next or I'm going to get up and I'm going to do my own, you know, fastest known time of the, the, the barrio loop or whatever. Um, stories are what we hang our hats on. You know, when we get to the coffee shop after the ride, we're all telling stories to each other of, you know, how we got dropped on the big climb or whatever. But we are as a species storytellers. That was, I, I did. I, I paused there because that was just a, a <laughs> well well done. Because <laughs> I was just thinking, yeah, every time I write a story, Patrick's like, there's no epiphany here. I'm going to end this. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Trevor, Patrick sucks as the boss. <laughs> He's like, there's, 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 I don't have an epiphany. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> God. There's going to be a mob at my door. You didn't like what Kush wrote? <laughs> String yeah, them up, boys. <laughs> you can also tell we have a lot of fun at Cycling Independent. So where where do you see then the media landscape going from here? I mean, you've seen it from print media to now mostly web-based to, uh, you know, it's it, it's a it's a content creation world. I mean, what... Where you know the funny thing is we talked about the the genesis of TCI, but we never really talked about what ultimately our our, our business model is. So we uh, we try to employ our readers uh, to uh, to voluntarily subscribe. We don't have a paywall. Okay, Villanus has gone to that. Bicycling's gone to that. Others will go to it. We don't have a paywall. All of our content is still 100% free. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. And nobody gets to veto me on that. <laughs> um, so there's been yeah. some arguments, but yes, Patrick, Patrick, <laughs> Patrick runs the show. <laughs> Benevolently, I hope. Um, but yeah, so, uh, Everyone is going to be looking increasingly to their audience for support. Um, and that's a reflection of larger movements within our economy. Um, you know, everybody funding their health care uh, to a certain degree, you know, people paying for social services more, all this stuff. You know, there are there are less uh, fewer centralized uh, funding solutions for things going on, whether it's government or, you know, uh, uh, an industry supporting a publication through advertising, all those things are shrinking. And so everybody is looking more and more to their constituency for support. And so for us, it's very simple. We have to create content that our audience goes, 
that stuff rocks. My life would be a little duller without that. Yeah, I'm going to give them three bucks a month or five bucks a month. Um, so it, for us, it's, it's uh, our solution is the one that we know everybody else is going to as well. Gentlemen, this is this is fantastic, and I feel like I don't know. I mean, I I kind of feel like we we just kind of scratched the surface on so many different topics, and there's there's so many things to talk about. But um, we we probably shouldn't uh, make this a four hour episode. So I probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I appreciate your time. Is there anything else that maybe one more? One more plug for cycling independent or just maybe something that we totally missed that you want to make sure and and push um, before we, we sign off here. Yeah, I think Patrick should just uh, talk about yeah, about that. No, just, you know, subscribe and yeah. and um, because we're relying on you. We're not like like we've said, we're not um, we're not asking you for anything. We just hope you like what we're doing and support us. Just check it out. You know, if people like it, they'll probably sign on, but you know, just check it out. That's, that's truly all I would ever ask anyone for. Um, People will decide the rest for themselves, but my mission at the end of the day truly is to validate the place that someone holds cycling in their life. Um, you know, most cyclists think of it as something that's important to them. And ultimately our mission is to validate that. So yeah, it's worth being important to you. Awesome to hear about cycling independent and I have checked it out and it is quality and it's worth, um, everyone going to often several times a week and, uh, keep up the good work guys. Really, really fantastic. And just again, great conversation. This is a blast. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having us. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast, email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com, or call our hotline at 616-522-2641. If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Audio editing and original music by Trevor Gibney. Sheldon Little handles social media, graphic design, and of course, bad decisions. As sporadic as they are. (laughs) And a huge thank you to Kush and Patrick from The Cycling Independent for joining us on this episode. And as always, keep your chain clean. But get your chain dirty. We will see you in the mid-pack.